Capital Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. And welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. What is an Imaginarium, you ask? I, I came across that word the, for, for the first time years ago reading a Dean Kuntz novel. Uh, and um, it just stuck with me. Imaginarium, that is um, any place that is do- devoted to the, the cultivation of one's imagination. And I like to think that uh, this show uh, fits the bill. An audio imaginarium. Uh, we are broadcasting out of our flagship station here in Toronto, Canada, AM 740, Zoomer Radio. I have to tell you, it is a remarkable uh, radio s- uh, station with a remarkable signal. Um, very few like it. It's 50,000 watts, and it's a clear channel. And I'm not talking clear channel as in Mitt Romney with a capital C, clear channel, the company. I'm talking about uh, a special license, a designation, a clear channel. It can be heard all over Ontario, parts of Quebec, and as far south as the Carolinas and from Maine to Minnesota, which means AM740 has one of the largest broadcast footprints in North America. It's a terrific signal. Uh, it is good to be here, as always. I can't begin to tell you how much I enjoy driving down here on a, on a uh, uh, Sunday night to do this program. I left the house uh, to come down here early into uh, the Liberty Village neighborhood for around 6 o'clock to have dinner with um, <clears throat> Nelson Thal, of course, no stranger to this program, our media scientist friend, uh, who incidentally will be with us on the program next week. Uh, but as I'm leaving the house, the skies opened up and there was a deluge. And the lightning. My word, the lightning. What a show. Uh, driving down the Don Valley Parkway, uh, and, uh, the city skyline straight ahead of me. And I must have seen at least, I counted at least four lightning strikes atop the, uh, the CN Tower. It was spectacular. Lord, I love a good electrical storm. I really do. I know it frightens a lot of people. And, you know, you have to take precautions. But there are a few things I enjoy more. Uh, than uh, sitting maybe on the front porch uh, or at least looking out a window from the cover of, of safety at a good electrical storm and the, the thunder boomers, the thunder and the lightning. I love it. I really do. Uh, before we get started tonight, uh, we say goodbye to my longest-serving technical producer tonight, Tim Spreen. I know you're busy in the other room. Do you have a second just to jump on the microphone? Just for a second. I know you're, you're shy, but uh, Tim is leaving the show after tonight. Uh, he's moving on to do more reasonable hours. He's staying with the company, but he's just, uh, uh, Tim, are you there? Yeah. So where are you going exactly? Why are you abandoning me? I'm taking over uh, production duties, um, creating commercials for Classical 96.3. Uh, the sister station here at AM740. Right. Excellent. So you'll be working more reasonable hours? Yeah, 9 to 5. 9 to 5. Yeah. Well, i got to tell you, it's been a great pleasure. You, uh, you are my fourth... A technical producer since I started here yeah, six years. years ago. Three years. Ago. Three years. Yeah. And uh, it's been a great uh, it's been a great ride. A pleasure working with you. You're you're just rock solid every single week, and uh, you make my life so much easier. So thank you for all you've done, Tim, over the three years. Likewise, it's been such a good adventure on this show. So I hope you enjoyed yourself. Always different, always entertaining. Well, we Thank like you. to think that, yeah, my pleasure. I think I'd like to think that we offer something a little bit different. So Tim, um, Tim leaves us after tonight, and then my fifth technical producer joins us next week, Ian Robinson. Robertson. Robertson. Ian Robertson. All right, we'll welcome him aboard next week. Um, 
I wanted to share this uh, email before we get to our uh, the main entree. Um, I, I love emails like this because it, it just tells you the sort of the, the the breadth and the scope of the program and how it gets out there internationally. Hi, Richard. My name is Dave from Cork in Ireland, and I'm a massive fan of you and your show. Uh, I used to be up uh, early on a Monday morning, and I could listen to the conspiracy show, which is brilliant, truly brilliant. They love the word brilliant in the uh, in the British Isles, you ever notice, uh, or I should say the Republic of I- Ireland. Uh, when I was in hospital, I listened all the time, and now that I have the app and caught up, I've caught up with all the past shows. Heaven, pure heaven, also got a lot of my friends hooked on your show. Please, Richard, if possible, say uh, hi to the people in Ireland who listen to your show. It would be great to hear that. Very best wishes to you, sir, and can't wait for the next show. Very kind regards, Dave. All right, Dave, and all your friends in Cork, Ireland, uh, a big hello and uh, thanks so much for listening, and uh, thanks for turning some of your friends in Cork, Ireland, onto the show. Uh, Albert Vinzel has uh, posted his usual assortment of fascinating stories in the slide carousel up at richardserrett.com, including this one. Uh, For those of you who are... Uh, tracking what seems like our slow, inexorable march towards soft totalitarianism. On June the 1st, Spain passed a law enacting fines of up to $33,000 for peaceful protest and filming of police. Critics of what they're calling the gag law says it's a step back into dictatorship. Uh, and according to the New York Times, citizens under the law can be fined the equivalent of almost $700 U.S. for insulting an officer. And as I say, over 33000 U.S. for recording and disseminating images of law enforcement, which are most important and effective during instances of police brutality and abuse of power. Uh, and then uh, another story up at the website. Finally, uh, f- uh, frankly, this one is disturbing. <laughs> but also we could file this under the... Uh, suspicions confirmed, I think. A recent study conducted by Professor Vincent LaRiviere from the University of Montreal School of Library and Information Science and a number of other researchers have found that nearly all major scientific papers, I'm reading it slow because this is important, nearly all major scientific papers are controlled by the six uh, same six corporations. All major scientific papers are controlled by the same six corporations. All right, those are just two of the stories you'll find in the slide carousel up at the website richardserrett.com. All right, as promised, the main entree, shall we? Uh, You know, it's no secret uh, to my Canadian listeners that we live in a resource-based economy. Uh, One only need look at the value of our Canadian dollar compared to the U.S. dollar. What are we at? About 76 cents U.S. right now. And and that is in large measure due to the fact that our dollar is a petrodollar. As goes the price of crude oil, so goes the value of our, not crude, but the, um, you know, from the tar sands. So goes the value of our dollar. And we know what's happening to the price of oil these days. Headed south in a major way. So too the price of gold and other precious metals. Other commodities. We are a commodity-based economy. Uh, And as demand for these things are slowing, uh, as the world, it seems, is slipping back into a recession. So the dollar slides with it. But when my next guests talk about a resource-based economy, they have something entirely different in mind. They are uh, representatives of the Venus Project to discuss the concept of a resource-based economy based on the revolutionary designs of inventor, social scientist, and future futurist Jacques Fresco. The Venus Project proposes an alternative vision 
of what the future can be if we apply what we already know in order, with, in order to achieve a sustainable new world civilization. It calls for a straightforward redesign of our culture and, uh, in which the age-old inadequacies of war, poverty, hungry, uh, hunger, rather, debt, unnecessary human suffering are viewed not only as uh, avoidable, uh, but as totally unacceptable. Anything less, they say, will result in a continuation of the same catalog of problems inherent in today's world. Too many people, people believe what is needed is a higher sense of ethical standards and the enhancement of international laws to assure a sustainable global society. And uh, we welcome to the program from the Venus Project. Uh, it is, uh, who do we have? Miss, uh, it's Martine Salvatore. Marina, my apologies, Marina, Mar- Marina Salvatore. My, sorry, my computer just cacked out on me. And it's is it Sean Hodgins? Yes. Sean, Sean and Marina, welcome to the uh, Conspiracy Show. How are you? Thank you. All right. Let's, Fine. Thanks for having us on. My pleasure. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm on the website, thevenusproject.com, and looking at this futuristic uh, uh, city that looks like it's built on the ocean and uh, some other interesting uh, pictures here, these futuristic-type designs. Uh, tell us about the, the designs, um, or the designer, rather, and that is this Jacques Fresco. Who was he, first of all? Well, Jacques has spent 75 years of his life um, finding or, or working on solution towards the problems, as you mentioned earlier, you know, eliminating uh, poverty, uh, hunger, debt, uh, war, that kind of thing. And so what he's done is he's designed several models to show a feasible a plan and a workable plan to be able to uh, get rid of these problems and work towards this resource-based economy. Now, I mentioned um, off the top a resource-based economy, and, yeah. and we have, but this is entirely different. How does uh, your resource-based economy or, or Jacques Fresco's vision uh, differ from, you know, a resource-based economy, which is what we have in Canada, you know, uh, hewers of, of uh, wood and drawers of water and so forth. Right. So when Jacques talks about a resource-based economy, what he's talking about is recognizing all of the world's resources as a common heritage to all the Earth's inhabitants. So we would utilize our existing resources uh, rather than money, and we would provide an equitable method of distribution to human beings in an efficient manner. So that means that all the goods and services are available to everyone without the use of money, uh, credit, barter, or any other form of, of debt or servitude. Marina Salvatore and Sean Hodgins are two representatives of the Venus Project, and they join us here on the, uh, the Conspiracy Show. Now, this... Um, equal distribution, we're coming up on a break and we'll get to this after, but this equal distribution of resources, uh, that's a, that begs an interesting question. Who gets to decide how these resources are distributed? Uh, it, it almost, one might suggest, sounds like from each according to his ability to each according to his need, and we know where that came from. Uh, is this some socialist utopia? Uh, we're talking about, or is there something else uh, going on? We'll come back and discuss the Venus Project when the Conspiracy Show continues right after this. Stay with us. This is no place for the naive or the faint-hearted. 
The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. Marina Salvatore and Sean Hodgins are with us. They are two representatives of the Venus Project. And uh, this is uh, really the, the culmination of Jacques Fresco's life, uh, designer, inventor, futurist Jacques Fresco. Uh, and the Venus Project um, is a concept uh, based on a resource-based economy based on, as I say, the revolutionary designs and in, uh, inventions of social scientist Jacques Fresco. So, um, this distribution of the world's resources, and we're talking about all the world's resources, correct? Correct, exactly. All right, let me get Sean in here, because we haven't heard from Sean. Sean, how would this, how would the resources uh, be allocated? Who would decide how they're allocated? Well, it's very similar. I use three models to help this uh, answer out, and one is, Going to space. The people aboard a, a space shuttle have limited resources that have to be allocated accordingly. Same example could be used for an island. A group of people that live on an island, they have to distribute and use the resources in an intelligent way, otherwise, they're going to perish. And then uh, maybe the easiest example would be a cruise ship. Imagine a cruise ship when the captain sets off for its voyage, has a set amount of food, set amount of you know, clean air, water resource distribution on that. So that those three models are not exactly the answer, but they're an easy response to this uh, uh, this problem that people seem to have with this uh, idea. All right. And and how would how does this model different from let's say a socialist model? Uh, I mentioned, you know, right. the, the famous line by Karl Marx, uh, from each according to his ability to each according to his need. Is this socialism we're talking about? Can I no, because here's the main thing, that, and I know I can see why people would think that, but in a communist or socialist uh, type of system, you still have money, uh, banks, armies, uh, police, prisons, that kind of thing. It's still managed by appointed leaders. And in the resource-based economy that Jack proposes, we would do away with all that. So that's why it, it, it's not the same at all. In fact, there's nothing out there that is... Uh, in the least bit resembling resource-based economy, as Jacques describes it. And would there be need for work? Uh, would one have to work, let's say... You know, you know the, the Venus Project, the, it would operate like Sean was talking about. It would be in a cybernated society. So basically, it's being managed by computerized systems. So, uh, you know, if, if let's say, instead of people trying to decide what to do with a piece of land and should we use it for growing this, that, or the other thing, in the scientific world or technology-based world, the computers would be able to assess that correctly and know what can be grown in what part of the world, um, what would be the most efficient way, and then we would arrive at decisions and not dictate decisions. The decisions that we would arrive at would be based on these scientific methods and the best technology available at that time. It's also been estimated that only 6% of the world population would be needed to work. Uh, right now, in places even like America, where we have a rampant capitalism, and uh, we have 26% of the population freely volunteering their time. If only 6% of the population using current technology, let alone future technology, is even estimated to be needed in such a society, we would have more than enough of a workforce to take care of the necessities. Um. But let's say I, I wanted to work. Uh, you know, would there be 
would there be work to do? I mean, let's say I wanted, I didn't want to do something that the computer told me needed to be done. Let's say I wanted to strike out on my own. Let's say I wanted to be, oh, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I'm trying to understand how this economy would look like. Um, Simple answer is yes. <laughs> All right. All right. <laughs> um, but in, in that society, uh, I can I, I can equivocate to all kinds of examples. But imagine you're completely aware of everything that's going on in the world uh, as much as you can be. Your your computers are connected and interconnected with every single system. You're aware of what agricultural growth and yields are around the world. You're aware of how many astronauts there are. You're aware of how many engineers there are. It's going to actually kind of steer you in a direction to help out where, the, where humanity is lacking because we're in the interest uh, well, the value set of helping humanity as a whole. So if we're short on teachers, so to speak, or if we're short on this area, you might, it might actually uh, gear you towards that. So of course, you, you can decide not to. But um, being aware of everything that's going on and uh, where we're lacking, and then maybe we're trying to get to the next planet. Maybe we're trying to get to the next galaxy, whatever, whatever happens then. That's, that's a little bit too far out there, I guess. Now, some people, some people might uh, have a few eyebrows raised at the prospect of everything being run by uh, computers. Uh, people like Stephen Hawking and others are, are sounding alarms about uh, the, you know, this point of no return when artificial intelligence uh, supersedes human intelligence. Uh, is there any danger in Jacques Fresco's vision of a new civilization that the computers could take over? I mean, are you concerned? Are there safeguards to guard against that? Well, well the, the machines are only programmed to do what we program them to do. So I guess it would be kind of being afraid that your smartphone would turn on you or something. You know, they're only going to do whatever it is that, that we... Um, there's no emotions involved in, in robotics or automation, so that it's not. John doesn't see that as possible because the, the machines can't have feelings or decide that. For example, um, let's say in a factory, the machine won't say, "Oh, they're tired of working 24 hours a day; they need a break." That kind of thing. It doesn't work like that. They're going to pro- they're going to work according to the program that was created for them. Right. Well, no, there's no That's emotion the involved. There's just cold logic. And and what happens if logic dictates that, let's say, for example, there are too many people on this island and somebody has to get off the island or uh, somebody has to stop making babies or or these people over here are a threat to the system? I mean, uh, is there not a danger that AI could develop? I mean, and th- these are these are the fears that are being voiced now by some of the top thinkers in the world today. That, 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 uh, it's a concern. It, yeah. it is it certainly, I mean, you can't just shun it off, right? It certainly is, it, it would be a concern to address, but the issue is not the value system within computers. The issue is the value system in the humans that are creating these uh, cybernetic systems. Right. And that's really at the core of what the Venus Project is focused on. Not really even focused on the big cities, the global systems, although that's a huge part of the plan. That what is needed in, within these cities, what is needed within that resource-based economy is the value system within humans to be able to live within it. Right. Now, uh, in, in terms of the distribution of resources, uh, so how does this work exactly? If I need heat for my home and electricity, uh, I get that for free? Correct. Okay. And well, there is no money, so everything is available to everyone. So the basic... 
think of it this way. Um, you would get whatever home you wanted to, to have. So you could live in complex buildings. You could live in a home of your own. It would be designed according to your needs. Uh, when your needs change, the, the home can be redesigned. Um, uh, you, you can, like, it Oh, I think we lost Marina there. Uh, we're having some trouble with your phone. Sean, did you want to jump in? I lost track of where she was going. Okay, uh, um, she said uh, you could uh, if you if you 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 could have a home based upon design based upon your uh, needs. Yeah, well, it, that's a tough one too. It's something I need to address, but uh, we haven't really mentioned yet. But we're taking into account seven billion people on Earth and the growth of those seven billion people in a few years, maybe ten billion people. So you have to be efficient. So I kind of narrow it down to make it easy on ourselves. And we're going to take care of the five basic necessities. So it's what I call them. Clean water, clean air, uh, healthy food, relevant education, and shelter. Right? Those are the five things we need to worry about. That's what we can pretty much all agree on that all humans need. Right. So we, if we can provide that freely to everybody, then, uh, you know, there's so much that will be fixed by that. So I don't probably don't have to go into it with you. But there's 30 to 35,000 children dying every single day due to starvation, preventable disease, uh, 80,000 people dying across the world every day due to unnatural causes. Um, and all those things we can actually fix. And then, then that leads you, might lead you to the argument of overpopulation. We can discuss that if you'd like, but, um, I'm saying we don't need to have any of the problems that are happening right now. The second we're able to create abundance on Earth, which is probably through agriculture and through uh, automated processes, maybe even the Henry Ford line, the automated production line. The second we were able to do that, that was the level of technology necessary to create a resource-based economy. Here we are 100 years later. We certainly have the level of technology necessary. And as we move in the future, we'll even have, a, have more efficiency. Now, uh, you both you and Marina mentioned that, you know, you could have something based upon your, your needs. What about your wants? Does that have any room in this system? Sure. If you wanted to learn how to play an instrument, you can go to the resource center that would provide the instruments, and you would sort of do like we do with a library today. You know, when you want to check out a book, you check out the book, and when you're done, you return it. So you can do that same sort of thing. There's no, uh, we wouldn't tell people not to do things or to do things. But in terms of material needs, let's say, uh, for example, I have a family of four and I want a 2,500-square-foot house. I mean, are there restrictions? No. No. Interesting. Okay. No. Short answer is no. Uh, <clears throat> but, again, it depends. depends on what the – the first thing that's going to happen is this uh, gets off the ground and everything. first thing needed to happen is a survey of all resources on Earth. We're aware of what actually we have and uh, divide that amongst 7 billion people. That's not exactly how it's going to happen, but if you're aware of that, uh, it's, we have plenty of resources to give you a 10-room house, you know, to produce for you a 10-room house or a 10-room apartment, whatever, you would still choose, likely, to have a 5-bedroom house, 5-bedroom apartment, because that, those are your needs. You're not going to exceed your needs. Your needs will be met, and that doesn't sound necessarily like a want, like you just mentioned. That is the, the size of your family. That would essentially be a need, so you'd be provided with that shelter. 
All right, Marina Salvatore and Sean Hodgins are with us, two uh, representatives of the Venus Project. And this is a, a concept, uh, it's based on a resource-based economy. And these are ideas that were d- developed by inventor, social scientist, futurist Jacques Fresco. Uh, now, you mentioned uh, sort of in, uh, an inventory of the world's resources. And the first thing that immediately leapt to my mind when I heard that was the UN Agenda 21. Uh, are there any similarities between UN Agenda 21 and the Venus Project? Actually, I have no idea. Okay, this is the idea. <laughs> the UN Agenda 21 is, is essentially sort of a, uh, a um, uh, an inventory of the world's uh, resources, uh, human capital, everything. Yeah. Uh, What's and, the incentive behind that, though? Is what, that's what we would question, right? Well, it's geared towards it's geared towards what they call, it's one of those buzzwords, sustainable development. Um, uh, you know, putting the world on track towards it. And, you know, there are people, and I have to include myself in that camp, that get a little a little uneasy about words like sustainable development because it's like it's one of those things like social justice. It sounds, it's a very fuzzy, friendly word, but it means many different things depending on, you know, who's interpreting it or who's behind the word. So uh, what do you mean by sustainable development? Well, I actually don't like the word sustainable. Uh, it means to stay the same. In any instance, you're using it, and we are interested in change. We're interested in ever-improvement. You mentioned the word utopia. There is no utopia in this. That is just version one. We want to work on version two, three, four, five, and those humans in that type of system will create something that we, you and I can't even imagine at this point. Right, right. right? So as far as sustainability, I think it's a, it's a, bad, it's, it's a useless term. And in fact, uh, it's thrown out out there in the media and marketing today, especially even on the UN, because people think they like it. If they knew what it actually is to keep things the same, why would we want to do that? Well, but also to many people, it means control and it means loss of personal liberty. In other words, they're projecting down the road, the UN will be telling us no more private property. You will live in in stacked, they call it again, you know, smart living and smart transportation, no individual automobiles. Everyone will be herded onto, you know, mass transit. Uh, You won't have, you know, backyards. Uh, Loss of liberty, herding people out of the countryside into cities, Uh, rewilding the lands, huge wilderness corridors where no humans are allowed, Uh, these sorts of things. Is any part of that part of the Venus Project? Kind of all the opposite. <laughs> oh, I, I am delighted to hear this. <laughs> I'm delighted. What Jock talks about is is actually, like Sean has been saying, is providing for the needs of people and not imposing anything, uh, to how to live or anything like that. Um, he, um, he emphasized ed- education and um and learning about sciences and technology and that sort of thing, and where we can contribute to make the world better for everyone. Um. Let's. Uh, we're coming up, up on a break here, but let's start this conversation now. Uh, one of the areas uh, on this earth that is, uh, you know, suffering despite an abundance of resources is Africa. Uh, you know, Africa should be thriving. And we obviously know that a large part of that is the legacy of, of uh, uh, you know, colonization and so forth. But I'd like to find out how some of the, the, the problems facing Africa maybe could be addressed through the Venus Project. And we'll do that on the other side with Marina Salvatore and Sean Hodgins. As I say, two representatives from the Venus Project right here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. 
Providing the evidence and letting you draw your own conclusions. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Marina Salvatore and Sean Hodgins, The Venus Project. Now, I I mentioned um, Africa. Uh, Let's use that as kind of a a case study, if we can. And uh, talk to me about uh, how Africa, the situation in Africa, the... uh, you know, incredible disparity in in uh, in wealth uh, there, uh, huge gaps, uh, and yet Africa has a huge abundance of, of resources. I mean, you name the mineral, they have it in abundance. Uh, the climate, obviously, they should be able to grow, uh, you know, sustain themselves with with, uh, with foodstuffs. Uh, but it's just a you know a political quagmire in many in many parts of the continent. How can the Venus Project uh, help Africa? But that, that's the thing, Richard, that's the thing. Um, because the Venus Project is concerned about the management of the world's resources, in the future, Africa would be taken care of in the same way as all other countries. Um, you, you know, it's about, again, what resources are where in the world and who could best do what or, and how would that be distributed. So Africa wouldn't be separated in that sense from any other country in the world. All right. Now, sure. One of the things that I, you know, this may get me into trouble uh, with some uh, listeners, but uh, I mean, my my views on climate uh, change are are well known and I'm not going to shirk from them. I I, I think if Africa had access to coal burning uh, uh, plants, cheap electricity, uh, I mean, something will come after coal. But to deny Africa an industrial revolution when we've all had the benefit of the industrial revolution seems to me to be incredibly uh, unjust. Um, how do you feel about the use of fossil fuels, uh, even in the short term? Do you not agree that Africa should have access to cheap electricity, and that could come again in the short term uh, with coal-fired plants? Boy, <laughs> you want me to handle this one? Sure. <laughs> Try to. All right. Um, no, I mean, uh, the, the short answer is we don't know. Uh, not sure how to handle that situation. I think actually the situation is perpetuated by a few things. One is uh, Band-Aid solutions, right? There's a group over that goes over there and, and gives them the desalination plants, but one where they need maybe uh, 20,000 of them. And so that's a, that's a, <clears throat> what we would see as a, essentially a wasted effort. Although you are actually helping out individuals, it's a bullet on a, or I mean, it's a Band-Aid on a bullet wound, right? So we're looking to the core, the root cause. What's causing these problems? I would estimate that it's just continued imperialism from 500 years ago. It's just soft, like you might say, soft imperialism. Right. <laughs> it's not as blatant anymore, but it's still happening. We are still taking advantage of the situation. Every, all the countries in the world, and you know about the slave trade and, and, and the resource, uh, basically not distribution, but resource thievery, that uh, Europe did and even the Americas did, you know, five, six, seven hundred years ago. And I think that is still continuing today. And also, some of these governments around the world actually enjoy when there's conflict in certain areas. It Absolutely. Helps out economies. So there, what would the VS try to do? We'd instill a resource-based economy, a global resource-based economy that, uh, <clears throat> that doesn't include the current politics, doesn't include the current uh, incentive systems that, like for global warming, uh, I can't put uh, uh, I can't put my opinion into it because I don't trust any of the data. Because the data, the incentive behind the data that is pushed to us could be uh, from either side, um, based upon trying to get ahead in their field, going out there with uh, predetermined numbers, or 
uh, monetary incentives. And so any number that comes out of anybody today is really tough to trust, really tough to put a lot of confidence in. So that's why I'm interested in a resource-based economy uh, where there's no money, no, no bar, no in, uh, incentive system to take advantage of others because you have access. When you have access to everything. You don't have a reason to try to, you know, get one over on somebody else. In that world, we can begin to, and using a cybernetic computing system, we can begin to actually trust or actually depend upon the numbers we're, we're fed. What, do you, what you're, you're talking about and, and what Jacques Fresco envisaged uh, is really revolutionary. And the question is then, how do we go from where we are now uh, to this resource-based economy? Because as you know, uh, revolutionary change is often achieved uh, through violent means. And I don't see the people, the, the people that are, oops, the people that are in, in power, uh, you know, giving up very easily. How are you going to wrest control from the power brokers, the elites, the 1%, which isn't even 1%, it's, you know, one one hundredth of 1%. How are you going to do that? Mm. Well, it's interesting because even those in, in power right now, they're kind of, in a way, almost making themselves obsolete because if you think about how they're, in order to try to increase profit and they're automating everything and they're firing people or laying off people, so now there's less people around. Um, but the thing is, there's also less people to be able to buy the, all these goods they're producing. So <laughs> it's kind of a, a, an ironic thing. But the transition period, um, even Jacques himself says it, it, that could be a chaotic uh, you know, part of it. Um, it, it it's difficult, difficult to go from where we are now to what he envisioned. Um, given what, because what we're thinking, the way we're thinking right now, it would be great if we could do this in a very peaceful and logical way. Um, and I think it could be done, but we would have to have a lot of supporters and a lot of people being educated about the Venus Project so that, you know, if, if something does happen to the economy or something breaks down or whatever the case is, instead of being the chaos, then we can understand that there is a feasible solution out there, you know, that everything doesn't have to be uh, falling apart. But we only can know I chime in on this one real quick? Yes, jump sure. in here, Sean, by all means. All right. So uh, how do we get from here to there? One is uh, when you talk about the elite is we have to allow them to recognize that they will actually benefit from a resource-based economy. Their standard of living, standard of living meaning access, meaning capabilities, meaning education, will actually rise even further than their, the maximum their abilities that the money can give them today. So that's one angle of it. Another angle of it is education, which is like the reason you're doing your show, is to inform people about this. If uh, there's a collapse across the world tomorrow, and then everybody in the, in the country has the ability to create a new system, what are they going to create? They're going to create what they know. And what they know are things like communism, socialism, fascism, capitalism, democracy, all these things. They can't even choose the possibility of a resource-based economy unless we educate them at least once about it, right? And we likely have to educate them 5, 7, 10, 20 times just for them to get it deep enough in their head. So a person cannot make a decision or they can't choose something of which they don't know. So at a base level, we're just giving them the opportunity in the future to make that decision if that uh, if that ever occurs. All right, Sean, hold on. Marina, you do the same. We'll be back on the other side and talk more about the Venus Project. Stay with us right here on The Conspiracy Show. 
Take a look around. What do you really see? This is where you can tell all about it. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. All right, welcome back. Uh, cards on the table. You know, I came into this a little uh, with some trepidation because I guess I'd be best described as a bit of a dinosaur. Uh, I, I happen to love, love the free market system. Uh, I think a lot of the trouble that we're in now has nothing to do with free markets and capitalism. It, in fact, it's the opposite of free markets. We have corporate welfare and corporate nepotism. Uh, and, um, you know, efforts to manipulate free markets. However, uh, when you go onto the venusproject.com uh, and check out these designs uh, for city systems and cities in the sea uh, that were dreamt up by uh, Jacques Fresco, quite remarkable. I mean, the future looks bright. If this is the future, it looks pretty cool, I got to tell you. Uh, Marina Salvatore and Sean Hodgins uh, are with us. Uh, talk to me about these. Uh, let's start with the cities in the sea. Um, what did Jacques imagine? Uh, you know, what percentage of the population might be living in the sea, and 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 how many how many people could live in in such a in such a city on the sea? Um, well, personally, I don't know exactly uh, the details as you're um, asking, but the thing about the cities in the sea, though. I understand would be uh, there's two main things here. One would act as a university so that uh, students could go and study, um, you know, the, the ocean life and the marine life and all that kind of thing. And the other part of it would be to restore the marine life to um, to a cleaner environment, you know, because of all the damage that's been done. Um, Sean, do you have more on that? Because I. I yeah, there haven't been any numbers as far as population and how many people fit on these, but uh, they're always, you know, if you want to have any concerns about overpopulation, how much of the earth is covered with water, right? So that, I would, in short, don't be concerned about overpopulation. Be concerned about distribution. But that's a that's a different, whole different discussion. As far as cities and seas, yeah, they're to help um, clean up the ocean systems. Chuck mentioned uh, in the 70, 60s or 70s, they dumped however many tons of uh Oh, darn it, what's that called? Uh, um, the chemical. Oh, my gosh. The, that they sprayed over Vietnam and used as a pesticide. Agent now. Orange Agent DDT, Orange. yes. Yeah they, yeah, they dumped it right in the ocean. And it went right down. If you know how the ocean currents, it takes it far away so it doesn't affect the local. Well, they poisoned the ocean. And he's talking about, and have you seen, like, the pictures and the amount of tonnage of plastics that are, you know, being gathered in the oceans? We're talking about reclaiming that. And uh, cleaning up the ocean, cleaning, and he has buildings designed to clean the air of the world. <laughs> it's, it's very interesting. <laughs> it's a huge, huge project that um, we have a lot of uh, uh, things to work on. And so Cities and Sea is just one aspect. And is this important. technology that, that, that could be used to clean the ocean or a building that could be used to clean the air, is this a t- technology that exists today? Yeah, he came up with these plans, uh, I think, in the 60s. These are all reflections of the 50s, 60s, and 70s plans he made. We've simply just been updating the data and updating the uh, visuals. And are so, there, I mean, we're far beyond even these capabilities. Are there small scale, not small scale, but are there, there are sort of um, small projects based on Fresco's designs that are operating? For example, is there a, a small... Um, a city site that's built on his specifications, or a or a or a sea city. At this point, the only, the only thing that's even rem- remotely close is the uh, the 21 acres they have in Venus, Florida, where they built 10 domes for 
just different purposes for for living, for doing a tour, for there's a research dome and like a, a place to you know hold tools and stuff like that. But it's not even close to the scale of what we're talking about. Is there are there nation states uh, in in Fresco's future? Countries, nation states, political entities like states. Oh, you mean borders? Yes. Like segregation. Uh, the idea is no, right? But the initial, I mean, how do you get a, a first city started? You might have to adhere to a certain country. Uh, maybe Brazil says, hey, you can have this many hectares of land, and you can develop this under these, and here's the resources you can use. Well, we might actually fall within our borders, so it kind of counters the whole no border thing. But to get started, we have to. There might be a little bit of compromise to go on just to get the first city, so people can see it, they can touch it. Uh, we can start doing the research there. But as far as borders, no, no borders at all. No nation state, no national governments. No. Nope. Would there be local governments, local councils, or would everything be run by computer? I, it's hard to say that everything. Uh, but as far as we develop things, the more we would uh, turn over to the computers. Like, uh, we, we turn over all kinds of things to computers right now. The calculator tells you what math, you know, the answer to the math from. The aviator counts on his GPS and his navigation system to tell him where he is. He is 100% dependent on technology to survive in that instance. It's no different in a resource-based economy. That's how we'll use technology to benefit us and relieve us from mundane tasks. All right. What about mobility? Would I be able to, let's say, jump on an airliner and fly to Australia, or would there be limitations on that? I personally don't think there will be. Uh, you know, ETT and these uh, maglev trains, ETT is a uh, you know hollowed-out tube. They, they suck all the air out of it, and it reduces the or removes the air resistance. They can possibly reach speeds of two, three thousand, three miles an hour, two or three thousand miles an hour. I'm sorry. You could go have lunch in France have dinner in China, right? Uh, the transportation systems between cities will be trained similar to that. And uh, there likely won't be as much air travel because we don't have an answer to the excessive fossil fuel, fossil fuel usage right now. But uh, we'll see. We'll see then. We'll see what happens then. But you will likely have, have unlimited travel. That's one of the major aspects of the resource-based economy. You won't be stuck in one place in the world your entire life. Would and in I, that, you'll have a larger education scope. What about the concept of private property? Would I, if I wanted to have a couple of acres, uh, you know, and maybe, maybe I want to live outside one of these cities and live on a couple of acres, would that be permissible? You want me to go on, or Marina, you want to try? Yeah, no, it's okay, Sean. You go ahead. Okay, um, short answer, yes. But long answer is you don't need a couple acres. What you want is access to a couple acres, right? Ah, interesting. So, so this is this is a whole different mindset. You don't you don't need. Uh, I'm sorry to change the example, but uh, he uses a pretty easy, easy one. It is a lawnmower. There's no reason for each house around me. I have tons of houses. We have 20 lawnmowers and 20 houses. One lawnmower would take care of the entire uh, properties of all of us, right? Thereby being that how much more efficient. So it's not. A lawnmower I want, it's my grass mode or it's my grass to be this high is what I want. So we're going to be changing the values of those types of things. So ownership is going to diminish, actually, because you won't need to own. Right now we have the need to own because we are uh, scared of not having access. When you have access, you will, it will remove and diminish the need to own. Now, the... one of the other uh, problems, uh, and, and believe me, I'm, I'm liking a lot of what I'm hearing, 
but everyone around the world would have to, it seems to me, would have to adopt this system almost simultaneously. Otherwise, you would have this disparity. Uh, let's say, for example, uh, here in Canada, we adopted this system and uh, you know, no more uh, need for armies and so forth, uh, no more border. Uh, and yet there may be some other jurisdiction that hasn't quite cottoned onto this plan yet, and they may have more aggressive tendencies still. Uh, so you see what I'm saying. Unless everyone adopts at the same time, it won't work. Well, you're absolutely right, Richard. That's exactly what Jacques says. Everybody has to – that's why it's a global vision. It's a global change. Everybody has to agree to it and participate in it. Yeah, it's going to be a dicey situation. I, I, yeah. I, um, I don't know that it can be achieved except through force, quite frankly. Or when people have had enough of living the way they're living or they don't believe in their governments or leaders anymore and they're starting to look for alternative solutions, then this is where the Venus Project would be accepted uh, because they don't know right now that it exists, that, that this right. is a feasible solution. Right. Right. Or you may also, not to be, uh, uh, you know, Mr. Negativity here, but just, you know, worst case scenario, you could have a certain percentage of the population that's ready to move on this and another percentage that's resistant, and therein lies the conflict. Uh, Jack has mentioned that we still likely need some defense, you know, uh, for purposes, you know, police or military for defense purposes. Right. Um, but once you have a system that's up and running, even though it's not a full 100% resource-based economy, it's going to be far more efficient than these current cities, far more efficient than these current systems. Uh, when you have a system where scientists actually share knowledge instead of hide it, where a company actually shares knowledge with another company instead of purchasing the rights to that and hiding it behind a uh, copyright, you know, putting essentially, you know, slowing humanity down. Uh, I think the floodgates will open up in, in, as far as, like, the advancements in, in these systems. And the people will see, the people outside of this system, the people outside of the walls um, <clears throat> will see the efficiency, and that will very likely uh, have them help them, incentivize them to join, I suppose, if you want to say join. Uh, participate, I suppose, is a better word. Is Mr. Fresco still with us? Yes, he is. He's 99. <laughs> 99. God bless him. Yeah. And still active in. Birthday. Is he still active in the Venus Project? Absolutely, absolutely. I met him last year when I went down to Venus, and um, he had just turned 99, actually, and he answered all my questions. Very, uh, very. They was, he was great. He was very lucid, very everything. <laughs> and and was he expecting, uh, you know, back in the 60s or the 70s, was he, uh, did he have some expectation that within his lifetime he might see this achieved? I'm not sure how I was thinking then. Um, I, I, all we have is the video clips. Uh, if you ask him now, he has no expectations because he, he thinks expectations can actually be harmful to a human. And he uses the example of H.G. Wells died angry. Uh, humanity. Essentially, he thought H.G. Wells was, uh, I'm sure you're aware, and yes. listeners are aware of who he is. Um, he, he died angry. Why did he die angry? Because he thought humanity would take on science like crazy, and we would advance ourselves far past where we are. And uh, Jacques has been living for 99 years, and he dropped expectations however long ago, and it's really helped him to keep going because it re removes the frustration. If you don't have an expectation, of something as big as the uh, as humanity, then uh, you can you can continue on without getting frustrated, without getting de uh, uh, demotivated, that type of stuff. 
So, right. uh, yeah, yeah, he, I, I would estimate that at one point in his life, he, he might have thought we'd be further along. But uh, he's dropped the concept of expectations for a long time now. Uh, very quickly, because we're almost out of time, uh, let me give you the website again. It's thevenusproject.com. Wait till you, you check out these uh, renderings, I guess, of, of city systems uh, uh, and different technologies. Uh, how do people get involved if they're interested? There is a page there that actually says get involved. So one of the things you can do is in whatever city you are or if, if for Canadians, you can send it to, um, send an email to Canada at tvpactivism.com or even to the global email, which is the admin email that you'll find on the website as well. And you can, there's all kinds of things to do. You could be a supporter. You could be a point of contact. Um, there, there's, um, you can participate, like what we're doing in Canada, for example, we're building a team here where I'd like to have a point of contact for every province and eventually every city. Okay, so, I got to run. I apologize for cutting you short, but uh, fascinating. And uh, listen, I, um, you know, I, I'm anxious to know more. This is, uh, this is very interesting. The Venus Project, and I thank you both uh, for coming on the program, Marina and uh, Sean. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Thank Have, visit the website, thevenusproject.com, and check out the book, The Best of Money Can't Buy, on there. Thanks uh, a lot, guys. All right, my pleasure. And uh, my website, richardserrett.com. Say hello on Twitter, at Richard Serrett, and follow the truth. <laughs>